I just want to this is a big shout out to uh, Jennifer and Jeff for uh, here, wherever they're at down south. We miss you if you're listening to this. We had a great class, but it was it was hard without you. All right, First Corinthians ten. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, you're you're good, and your word is full of the truth of of your goodness and your mercy toward us. And you love us no matter what. So, Father, I thank you that as we continue to to learn and to grow and to teach, that in all of this, you're glorified in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Do you need need an extra paper? I have some. Way to go, Ray. Way Way to lose your paper. I was just looking at that. I don't. That doesn't look familiar, does it? Oh, yep. All right. Let's go to, well, why don't we just, let's see where we do, let's, let's kind of look back here at verse 9. We've been talking about right as an apostle. That's all the farther I, oh, that's right, because we finished up 8, didn't we? Yeah, it's underneath, let's go to the last one, flip, flip, just flip it completely over, and it's those. Did you, the, the next chapter is continuation of this theme? Yep, the need for self-discipline. Okay. All right. Well, let's just... uh, Paul's been talking about his right as an apostle in chapter 9. That's right, because we talked about uh, receiving offerings for the ministry, receiving offerings for his care, uh, about how God says that those who work in the ministry should should receive income from the ministry. Dun, 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 down. He's talking about his freedom. Oh, because he was talking about, then we talked about all, becoming all things to all people. Relating to those that you minister to. Um, you know, if you, there's each church, each area, each people have a different culture. And uh, no matter where you go, even just, you know, a few miles apart, even just a couple miles apart. Our culture is different than the culture in another church or in another community. You know, we talk about River Falls. You know, Wisconsinites. You know, they're completely different. Almost, almost a complete. <laughs> we lived in Wisconsin for 14 years, so. I've been living there for forever and ever. But it, but it is. You, you know, high, you know, north of Highway 8 is different than here. You know, life is different. It's just, uh, um, you know, and, and you relate to people differently. You you minister to them. However, you know if we were to go into the inner city, you know I, I am different than most inner city ministers. They're going to understand. I just had lunch with Pastor uh, Luis this morning or this afternoon, and he was just talking about things that are going on in his church. And I'm like, praise God, I'm here in 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 Safeville. You know, I mean, he's talking about drug dealers and gang members getting saved, and you know, I mean, it's awesome, it's exciting, but you have to know. You have to minister to them differently than you do a business owner or a, you know, or, or, a, or a professional or whatever. And it's just, it's not better, it's not worse, it's different. 
And Paul, Paul is talking about relating to everybody. He was dealing with circumcised, uncircumcised, Jews, Gentiles. So he's, you know, he's dealing with really different cultures. And he's saying that you, uh, you relate to them in different ways. All right, so we get into verse 24. He's talking about keeping focus. That's right, because we talked about being focused. Uh, that's right, everything we should do, we run all the way to the end of the race. Um, we're not, we are not doing this because we're bored and have nothing better to do. We're not being Christians. We're not, we're not living this Christian life because there's nothing else to do. It is life. It's, it's eternity. It's important. And we need to take it as such. You know, an NFL football player, when they go getting into the season, they don't come in un, you know, maybe, maybe 30 years ago, they came in not ready to, to play. Nowadays, they practice year-round. They train year-round. They train their body because when they hit, the, hit the, the, the first day of practice, they have to be at a, at a peak level. You can't come in 40 pounds overweight and, and, uh, you know, and not having run all summer or anything like that unless you're a lineman and then they, you know, they make the news. But, but even at them, you, know, I mean, it, it is a, you, you don't take this lightly. This is, this is important. We should live our lives as though it is important. Um, even to the point we, we read in Luke chapter 9, where how Jesus puts it as, as great importance. What's the temperature set at? Okay, because it's really, is it really hot in here? Or is it just me? You're always... All right. Jesus said, for whoever, in Luke chapter 9, verse 24, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, Whoever loses his life or loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. All right. He continues to talk along this theme in this next chapter. Um, You know, the guy who put the chapters and verses in the Bible uh, didn't always put them in the perfect place. He, he didn't always uh, put them in, in thematic order. Um, but he, the, the, uh, 1 Corinthians 10 is a continuation of this. Um, now I, I'm looking at my notes here, and I'm trying to figure out why I even said this. Is this a dissertation on eternal security? Oh, I know why I put that in there. When Jesus said that, when Paul's talking about that, because he talks about uh, up in verse 27, he says, No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So, what I should say is, is this a dissertation against eternal security? Is it possible to lose your salvation? Okay. Right. Yeah, you can't you can't lose your salvation by making a mistake, you know, by sinning or whatever. Because we all sin every day. I mean, not every day, but I mean, Ray does, but not uh, we don't sin every absolutely every day. But <laughs> but we you can you can walk away from God. You can renounce your your relationship with God. 
Um, it is possible. Paul talks a couple different places. One of them is right here where he says, he says, I'm very careful how I live my life so that, you know, after I've preached to everybody, I don't get disqualified because you can, you can walk away from God. You can systematically remove yourself from grace. Um, another place, remember it says that he went back to the brothers in Jerusalem and laid forth his doctrine. He laid it out because he was concerned. He was like, man, am I teaching the right thing? You know, what, what was that all about? Was, was Paul wishy-washy? No. I believe that Paul, being, being very used of God, was also very attacked of the devil. You know, if, if, if you're in the midst of the struggle, if you're in the midst of, of helping other people, then you yourself are going to be attacked greatly. You know, and that's where, you know, ministers, you know, Dev and I talk about this, you know, it, it, ministry isn't for the faint of heart. And it isn't because, oh, my job is so tough. No, it's, it's when you've been working and helping and, and teaching and training and doing all these things, you also get attacked, uh, I almost said systematically, but uh, in like kind. You know, my worst day of the week is Sunday afternoon. Because, you know, I get up and I preach and I, you know, give everything that God has for me, you know, that has for me to say. And I get home and all of a sudden all the attacks, all the thoughts, all the accusations, all the, you know, and it's not from Deb. I mean, it's not from, usually it's not from other people. It's from the devil. I mean, he's sitting there going, well, how could you say that? Because you, you know, and you, you're, you're this and you're not that and, and you, you've fallen short here. Well, you know, you can, you, that really starts to tear you down after a while. Paul, I'm sure, experienced the same thing. Jesus did. You know, I mean, what what was the temptation in the desert? All it was was, well, if if you're really the son of God, you should be able to do this. That That was the temptation. Was, are you sure that you're the son of God? Are you sure you're the chosen one? And and Jesus knew by the spirit of God that he didn't have to prove himself to anybody. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, that's the sin. It, that is, there is no new temptation. It's the same temptation over and over. Did God really say for you to live this way? Did God really say that you should live a monogamous life? Did God really say that you're His child? Did God? Are you sure you're a believer? It's that. It's that doubt. It's that that shred of doubt. That, that he puts in there, same thing he did to Jesus, same thing he does to us. Same thing he does to Paul. Paul was probably had one of those days where he's feeling a little, oh, you know, I've, I've worked really hard here, but I want to make sure that I don't disqualify myself. Okay. All right, so he's talking about um, he beats his body. He makes, he makes his body subject to him. And um, he goes on to talk about this from Israel's history, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, that they all passed through the sea, that they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. That rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the dark in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And so he's saying, he's saying, see, these guys 
live their lives. I mean, they, they were taken out of Egypt miraculously, weren't they? They all were. They all miraculously escaped the Egyptians at the Red Sea. All of them. They all were fed by the quail and the manna. They were all fed or, or given drink by the rock. That's a very interesting verse. Read that verse again. Tell me what you think of this. Verse 4. And drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. What does that mean? Yep. I know. Isn't that interesting? Yes. But, okay, do rocks move? Do, do, rocks, do rocks follow people? I mean, I've read that for years, and I can't come to another, a different... But, you know, you, you know you, I mean, that's, that's what I'm a little nervous about standing up in front on Sunday morning and, and saying, the rock followed them. <laughs> it, it rolls, yes, but it's desert, you know, and it's flat, and it's, you know... So, that, so they do talk about that, huh? They do, yeah. Yes. 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 He, w- w- my, how I've, I think, you know, you're right. My interpretation of that is Christ died once and gave us that spiritual water. He gave us the, 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 the rivers of living water that, that, that don't end. What Moses did, because, because everything is a type and shadow. Everything is a, you know, a story of how God is and who God is and so on and so forth. He, what he told Moses to do was to speak to the rock and it would give forth water. Moses disobeyed and struck the rock. He went against the type and shadow that God was trying to portray. He was saying, you know, what, what Moses actually acted out was, you know, Christ was crucified twice. Because the first time he struck the rock, you know, that's how the water came the first time is he struck the rock. Moses was supposed to speak to it from that point on, just like our relationship with Christ. We don't have to re-crucify Christ. And Paul actually writes about that uh, in one of, the, one of the epistles. He says, he says, we don't, you know, if you do this, or maybe it's James, if you do this, you're crucifying Christ again, which we can't do. We don't need to do that, but it's wrong. It was wrong for, for Moses to do that because he was acting out that type and shadow, and God went, no, that's not the picture I want people to see. What I want them to see is that once, you have, once Christ was struck for you and you've accepted that living water, all you have to do is speak to him and he'll give you that living water. That would have been the better, the clearer uh, uh, type and shadow that he wanted Moses to act out. When Moses didn't, he was cursed and couldn't go into the promised land. So, you know, that is the, you know, so yeah, but I've always read that verse and went, it followed them. Isn't that freaky? I mean, that's just one of the cool things about the Bible that, you know, you just go, huh. And usually we just kind of glance right over it. We just, you know, read through it and. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And they did. And, and because of that, because they didn't discipline themselves, God disciplined them. 
and they fell. Same, and, and that's what Paul's warning them about. He says, don't do that. Don't, don't whine. Don't complain. Don't, don't purposefully sin when you know you shouldn't. Because when you do that, you're under the, the, the you know, not that, not that you are going to, uh, well, and you might, walk, you know, cause yourself to walk away from Christ. But what you will certainly do is you'll bring judgment on yourself. See, I've heard that, that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit could only happen when Jesus was on the earth. Now, and that's one side of it. You know, there's, you know, that, that's one theological thought. That that, because, because they called the acts of Jesus demonic, that that was blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, on the other side of it, I mean, that's, that, I've heard theologians say that, theologians, whoever they are. Okay. The other side of that, I was driving to work one day. This was 20, before Deb, so it was 20, how long have we been married? 25 years? 24, so 25 or 26 years ago. I was driving to work one morning, and I was listening to a radio station, Christian radio station, and this guy was on there. I don't know who he was. I pray for his soul, because he's on there going, yeah, and that tongue stuff, that's of the devil. I mean, and he meant it. I mean, he was just... And he was talking about people who think that they're filled with the Spirit. I mean, this is a Christian radio station. And this guy's, and when he said that, my spirit just grieved. I mean, and I, and I was like, am I listening to somebody blaspheme the Holy Spirit? I mean, that was, that was heavy. I mean, that, that morning, I mean, I just, it was, it affected me. I still remember it to this day. It just affected me so deeply. I don't know. That, that, that's what I mean, you know, that calling the works of God the works of the devil According to Scripture, is the the unforgivable sin. But I believe that we can we can renounce the grace of God. We can say, God, I don't want you. I don't want you know. And and people have done that. I mean, I've I, you know. I mean, I think I've used the example here of was it uh, uh, what was the Kennison, uh, the comedian uh, Kennison, Sam Kennison. Sam Kennison, I believe, was a preacher, wasn't he? He was a Pentecostal preacher, and uh, uh, I remember watching TV one night, and he was on, and I used to love watching him because he was just crazy. And so he's, he's speaking, and I'm, I was a Christian at this time, and he's, he's doing his monologue, and he's going through his thing, and all of a sudden, he stops, and, I, and I'm sorry, this is, you know, this is going it, to, it hurts. I mean, it's, it's, it just, it grieves, I believe, you know, it grieved me then, it's, it's still thinking about it, it grieves me. He takes the microphone, starts pounding the floor, and he goes, you know what that is? And he goes, he goes looks up and he goes, yeah, Jesus, come on back. We'll take care of you again. And, he start, and he's, he's like he's pounding the nails into the cross. I mean, and he starts to mock God. I mean, he's just right on, and people are laughing, and I'm just, I had to turn the TV off because I just, I just started to grieve in my spirit. And he had been a preacher, yeah. He had, well, and I don't know what happened in his life. But it was, I think, within six months is when he was killed in the car accident. Um, so, I mean, it was very, it was right after that. It was like within six months, I think, he, uh, it was when he died in that car accident. So, I mean, it's just, you know, can people walk away from Christ? Yes. You know, the, the, you know that, that line of apostasy. Apostasy is, is turning your back on God, walking away. It's an apostate. They call it an apostate state where you've gone so far that you can't come back. Where is that line? None of us want to know. 
None of us ever want to even imagine it. I mean, it's a horrible, horrible place to be because once you cross it, you can't come back. I believe that it is conscience. I don't know that you know exactly when you cross the line. Because when I came back to the Lord, and I've, given, I've shared this testimony many times, I was afraid I had gone too far. And the truth that my mom said to me, which set me free, was she said, do you want to come back? And I said, yes. Then she said, then you haven't gone too far. I mean, that was the Spirit of God. I mean, that was, that was the, the words of God because it just it freed me and it gave me life. Um, but I was afraid. I, I didn't know. I mean, you, I, I re, you know, and I remember never saying, God, I don't want you, but I remember being okay with not, with it, without his presence in my life. And that's a scary thought. Because I, oh, I believe there is too. Yes. Yep. And there are, there are those who have crossed that line. And I've, I've heard them speak. I've heard, you know, obviously I just gave an example of it, but you know, it's a it's a scary, scary place to think anybody would cross that line after once tasting of the good things of God. You know, because that's that's the you know the ultimate slap in the face is you experience the grace of God, you experience the life of God, and then to be so hardened as to reject that is just a very scary place. So, all right. So he's saying, be careful, don't do that. Um, And basically, he says that in verse 6. He says, now these things occurred as an example to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of, of them were, as it were written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. On whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. I mean, that's, that is a verse that I've, I have actually held cl- close to me. You, 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 you think you're doing just fine. Just when you think you're, you're having no trouble is when you're going to have the trouble. Because that's pride, isn't it? Thinking I've got this all thing all figured out, that's, that is the epitome of pride. Saying that, oh, well, I don't need God because I'm not going to sin anymore. Hello. He shows you real quickly who you are. You know, and I've, I've said that many times. I know who I am. How do I know who I am? Mean, what does that mean? What does it mean I know who I am? God has shown me what I'm capable of. And I get it. I, I realize that it's not, I, I'm not some super Christian who, you know, I've got this thing all figured out. I know it's only by the grace of God that each day I walk in his presence. It's because of his love, because of his mercy. And, and I've, I've learned to not take that for granted. Even when you screw up, you still have that soft heart that knows, God, it's because of you. It's because of your grace. It's because of your mercy that I can do anything, you know. Um, I was talking to some guys recently, and we were talking about sort of the same deal, talking about you know just the the parts of our life where where God is dealing with us in. And I said, you know, God over the last two years has been showing me even more who I am. 
And he usually does it right before something great happens. And I, and I didn't realize it until a couple of things happen. You know, whether somebody gets saved or so whether, whether something is successful or whatever it is, I'll really go through a time of God going, this is who you are. And it's just like, oh, you know, you just, you know, right before a mission trip, usually all kinds of things come to light in my life. You know, God shows the, the light and just like, oh, and then you go and you, a miracle, people get saved, you know, you know, words, all this stuff happens. And I, re, I go through the whole time, you'd think I'd be excited. And the whole time I'm going through, oh, this has got to be God because I know it's not me. But he does that. He, he humbles us so that we can handle walking through his glory. If we walk through his glory with pride, it'll kill us. I mean, it, it did it to, you know, it did, it did that to other people. Ananias and Sapphira was about pride. They walked into the glory of God. God was doing miraculous, powerful things in Jerusalem, and they came in with pride, and it killed them. It hap- that happened in the, in the temple. That's what the whole types and shadows of people who died with the, with the, uh, um, the Ark of the Covenant was you can't touch God's glory and be full and have pride, thinking you can you can write the the ark of God, thinking you can handle His presence. You know, oh, I got this thing covered. It'll kill you. So we have to be humbled. Now, being humbled is a horrible thing. <laughs> that's the that's the bad side of this. Is that? But like Paul is saying, you take that take that, that, that beating and, and allow it to do what it's supposed to do to humble you because you can't walk in his glory without it. And he says he's training himself. You know, and and I'm, I'm getting to understand that more and more that you, know, you, you get up in the morning to go work out because you know you have to work out because you're going to be you know, testing or training in something and then you get up and you're tired and your body hurts. You know, and you really your flesh doesn't want to do it. Well, the fact is, you do it, even through the pain, because if you don't, you will never get to that next level. You'll never, you'll never go beyond. And that's what Paul is saying here. Is he says, I beat my body into submission. I don't allow it to sin. I, I choose, you know, I live in such a way, in a fear of God, that, um, that we don't take status quo as, as where it should be. Verse 13 no temptation has overtaken you except that or except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, you will also be provided a way out so that you can endure it. You know, and I've talked about that many times. He makes a way out. There's always a way out. There's always an option. Even when you choose the other option, the way out was available to you, and you knew it. That's, that's why it's sin, because you knew you could, you could follow that. You knew what you were supposed to do. You knew what he, what he gave you the grace to do, and yet you chose it anyway, no matter what it is, no matter what sin. And, and does anybody want to describe one of their sins? You know, we could use it as an example. I didn't think so. And I, I don't want to anymore. I'm tired of it. <laughs> you, know my, you, know, you know a bunch of my sins. That's good. We can fall. It is possible to fall, and it is possible to fall uh, repeatedly without repentance, and that's what pushes you towards that line of apostasy. You know, it's that it's not just the one mistake; it's the one mistake without without repentance, and then another mistake, another sin without repentance, and then another sin without repentance, and sooner or later you become hardened to uh, that 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 
it, that small voice, that, that still small voice of the Spirit uh, encouraging you or, or uh, um, convicting you to not keep going that direction. He has made a way out for us so we do not fall. And do you notice that it says, when you are tempted, we will be tempted. You will be tempted forever and ever. I was talking to, a, to an older gentleman uh, a while back, and we were talking about some things, and he goes, and, and he's, he's, I think he's in his 70s or 80s, um, and he says, he goes, I thought when I got to be this age, I wouldn't be dealing with this anymore. And I said, no, and he goes, still dealing with it, <laughs> still, still tempted in that way, still, still, you know, you think you would learn by this, this time in your life? And he says, he says, it hasn't happened yet. He says, I haven't reached perfection yet, and none of us will until Jesus comes back. Amen? All right, verse 14. Anything else about that? Anything anybody else, anybody else wants to share? Nobody wants to share a sin that God's dealt with them recently on? Okay. Just... I just wondered, no temptation has seen you except for common Yes. Okay. Um, basically, that you know, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, every temptation that you will ever experience, I believe Christ experienced. You know, and that's why He can be that high priest. That's why He can He can stand before God and and forgive us of that sin because He was tempted of it too, and made the right choice every time. So there's you know, you talk about any physical temptation. You know, whatever that may be. You know, any physical temptation. Somebody has experienced it, you know. That's why even with Christ, you know, yes, Christ was, was uh, uh, you know, obviously never got married, never, you know, we don't hear anything about any, any story about Mary Magdalene is, is made up from outside of reality because he didn't have a relationship with her. I mean, he had a relationship with her as far as they were, they, you know, he, he loved her as I love Ray, you know, or any of you. You know, it's, you, you care about somebody deeply. But there was nothing romantic there because... He just, he didn't, you know, there was, there would be ramifications if he did. Huge ramifications. Exactly. But was he tempted that way? Oh, I guarantee you he was tempted. He was alive and he was a man. So, so yes, the opportunity was there for that temptation. Um, You know, any of those, any temptation that was, that is, is common to man, Jesus was tempted with it. And overcame it. You know, and, and even, you know, you look at, you know, we look at degrees of sin. You know, we look at murder. And then we look at Hitler who mass-murdered millions of people, was responsible for mass murder of millions of people. We as human beings look at that and go, oh my gosh, that is so much worse than, than what, you know, say, the last guy who killed somebody. I don't know, I couldn't, can't think of anybody off the top of my head. But, you know, I mean, Hitler was way worse than the guy who, who killed his wife recently and burned her body. Well, not really. Sin is sin. So, you know, ten, that was the same, what led to that, that death is the same temptation, the same, um, the same motivations as what Hitler did. He just did it on a bigger scale. Jesus then took that to the next level and says, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. 
Because he's saying it isn't, it isn't even the act of murder that is the sin. It's the hating. It's, the, it's what happens in your heart. It's what, it's what uh, leads up to that murder is where the sin really resides. So every sin, every sin can be traced back to pride. That is the root of all sin. I mean, I think, I mean, you could argue with me theologically, and I'd be open to it, but, but I, I, I personally think everything goes back to pride, which is also selfishness. I want this, I deserve this, and so I'm going, you know, and that's pride, that's selfishness, any of those things. It's all the same root. Yes. Yeah, it isn't following the rule of don't kill somebody. It's the heart issue of pride. The heart issue of, of selfishness. It's the heart, you know, why did, why did the guy kill his wife and burn her body? Because he wanted something and she wasn't going to, you know, wasn't doing it for him. Whether, whatever it is, you know, I don't, you know, who knows. Well, why did Hitler kill the six million Jews? Well, it's because he thought he was better, and he, he had a better plan. It was pride. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's the same root. No matter how you look at it, it's the same root. So, common to man. All right. Yeah, yeah. At the root of it, we're all the same. And, 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 and the temptation. And that's why we can't judge. That's why we shouldn't judge. Judge. Judges are really, because we'll actually get to that in, in First and Second Corinthians. There's, there's two kinds of judging. Two kinds of, you know, the, the kind of judging that is okay is you have to make a decision about who's going to be your babysitter, and you found out that uh, there's the, the girl down the street, there's two girls on the street, one on the right side of the street, one on the left side of the street. The one on the left side of the street is a straight-A student who is a, an honor student who goes to church and is a wonderful person, and she's a Christian, you know, and all these things. And then there's the person, you know, the girl who just got busted for the party down the street. You can judge and say, not going to hire her, I'm going to hire her. That's okay. And, and, and the same way within the body of Christ, there's times when we have to judge a situation and say, you know, uh, you know you're not going to do that. We'll have you do something else, but we're not going to have you do that for whatever reason. Uh, the example I heard years ago was you don't have a guy who just got out of prison for theft count your money in your offering. You know, you don't have a pedophile work in the children's ministry. You don't have, you know, <clears throat> there's wisdom. Can you have a thief work in the children's ministry? Maybe. You know, <laughs> they're probably okay with that. You know, but you, that, you can judge that way. What's the wrong kind of judging to say, how could you do that? Oh my gosh, you are such a terrible person. No, we're all there, you know. And so, you know, this temptation, the, the temptation and, 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 and uh, um, dealing with that temptation, giving into it or whatever, the sin isn't any worse than any other, but we do, we do, you know, you wouldn't put Hitler in charge of immigration, you know. <laughs> you, know you just, there's just, that, that's a good, that's, you can, it's an okay, what's that? Yeah, well, that could be it. So, okay. All right. Feasts and the Lord's Supper. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Verse 14. I speak to a sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving from which you give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. 
for we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar. Am I in the right place here? Okay. All of a sudden, it sounded like something else we had talked about earlier. Or maybe I've just been reading this so much, it all sounds the same now where I'm at. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar. Do I mean that food sacrifice to an idol is anything? Now he's bringing this same idea back. We we had talked about it earlier. That's why I was having a flashback here. He's bringing this idea back, kind of bringing some things to conclusion. Do I mean that food sacrifice to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So, idols are nothing, but why associate with them? And I, and I think what he's doing here, and you can maybe add to that, you can correct me or whatever, what I think he's doing is he's trying to help them live in their society. He's trying to help them, you know, okay, now you're a Christian, now you act differently. And, and in the beginning of this, he's talking about, you know, if you go over to somebody's house and they're serving a pot roast, and they say right before they put the pot roast out there, well, I don't know if you want to eat this, it was offered to an idol, because, because they, you know, they, their conscience is telling them, well, I really shouldn't be serving this to them without telling them. And, and Paul's going, well, then don't eat it. If it's going to harm their conscience or it's going to harm yours, then don't do it. But he's, he's also saying, he's saying, if their conscience isn't bothered and your conscience isn't bothered, who cares? Eat the meat. It's, what's an idol? An idol is nothing. But he's also giving them the balance here then. In this part, he's giving them the balance. He's saying, you know, if you want to sit down and have supper with somebody and eat their meat because it was, sac- you know, and, and you know it was sacrificed to an idol, but they don't mind and you don't mind, just go ahead and do it. It's not going to cause anybody else to sin. Go ahead and do it. But what he's saying is, you know, but here's the other side of this. You don't go to, the, you don't go to the, the sacrifice with them and participate in the sacrifice. You know, because we're not, you know, we, we, we participate in the table of the Lord. Well, what they're doing is they're, they're participating in the, in the table of the devil, you know, of the demons. So he's saying, you know, there is a line here. We do draw lines. We do, you know, you do say, uh, you know, here is, here's where you're, you know, I don't cross this boundary because, you know, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to validate what you're doing. I'm not going to say that you are okay by worshiping de- demons, by me worshiping demons, by me hanging out with you while you do it. So he's just, he's clarifying that issue. Um, you know, and, and in real today terms, you know, it could be a lot of things. You know, um, you know, would it be a sin for me to go to a bar and have a drink with somebody? No, it wouldn't. But if their sole intent purpose was to go there and party till they get drunk, and I go and help them do it, that's wrong. He said, you know, that's kind of that same crossing the line. Now, here's the here's the here's the balance of it. See, every every time you talk about a for instance, you gotta you gotta share the other side of it, the balance. Years ago, Deb and I actually I heard about it and bought tickets without Deb knowing, and there was a big fight. And we, but we went anyway, and we had fun because I spent money. I just absolutely you wouldn't but here you all gonna most of you are gonna go well hello the tickets were to larry norman 
was to hear Larry Norman, yeah, over at the New Union. And there was two nights. I'd heard there was two nights, and the first night sold out like bang. And it was, it was packed out, 500 people in the old New Union. <laughs> yes. If you've ever, you know, that was a small place, and it was packed to the gills. Well, so they added on, huh? Who's Larry Norman? Oh, my goodness. Larry Norman, yeah, <laughs> Larry Norman was the, the grandfather of Christian rock and roll. He was one of the first guys back in the 60s to become a Christian in the Jesus people, uh, Jesus Revolution, and then started playing Christian music. And he, he joked, even that night, he says, he says, the first songs we wrote were to secular tunes with Christian lyrics, you know. Oh, well, he was one of the first. I mean, Larry Norman is considered, you know, like I say, the grandfather. So he's talking, and he's, he was, he, so, oh, so the, so the we go, we get tickets for the second night. They, they add on another night, because they packed out the first night. I heard about it, bought tickets. We go, and there was, what, about 40 people there? So there's Larry Norman sitting in, in a room, you know, in a big room, but we're all sitting around, about, about 40 people sitting around Larry Norman, Having a conversation. Oh, yeah. See, it was worth every penny. I should have kept the ticket stub. I, could, I should have paid ten times that amount just because it was worth it. <laughs> but there's like 40 people, and we're all sitting around. And so he plays for a while, and then he just starts talking. And he starts having conversation with everybody sitting there. And he goes, you know, he says, I, well, he's told a couple of great stories. He says, one of them, he goes, yeah, I don't go to church anymore. He says, I, every time I go into the church, he says, they all pray for my salvation. Because he had long hair and, you know, full beard. And, I mean, he looked rough. But he goes, he goes I know, I'm sitting there, and they're all praying for my salvation. <laughs> so he, but he's, he goes, he says, well, here's what I'm doing now. He says, I'm hanging out with Guns N' Roses. And he says, he says, I'm partying with Guns N' Roses. He says, I don't drink anything. He says, I don't pop any of the pills. I don't smoke anything. But he says, when they wake up from partying all night, I'm there to look at them and say, Jesus loves you. And they respected him because of his music. They respected him because of who he was, but he never compromised. So, I mean, you might say, well, he's hanging out with Guns N' Roses. Yes, he's hanging out with Guns N' Roses, but who else would he have heard from? Who else would they have heard from? Somebody that, would have, that, could have related to, that they could have related to. And, and he says, I preach Jesus to him every chance I have. Glory to God. But he had a line. He says, I don't do this. I don't. He says, I, he makes a clear distinction of who he is. And that's what Paul is saying here. You don't participate in that. You, if you know that that is a line that they're, gonna, that they're going to be hung up on at some point in time, you don't cross it. And you make your line clear, and you make your line sure, and then you, you relate from there. But he says, you know, so he's, he's giving that other side of, the, he's giving the balance of that earlier argument of, what are idols? They're nothing. You know, if you want to eat the sacrifice, go ahead. He's going, well, okay, let me just clarify this now. Yeah, you, don't, you shouldn't go in and be, participate in the, in, the, in the sacrifices as well. Okay. Yes. Right. Because that's what he 
That's that's what he said earlier. Right. Yes. Yes, I, I would say that's a. I think it would be a very strong argument in that line. Yes. Oh yeah, definitely. Yep. No, no, that's but that's what that's that's exactly right. I mean, that's you know how do you discuss that in that because because to say that that isn't immediately is a blasphemous statement to to some. So, right. You know, and Jesus even says that. You know, what he said, "What is food?" You know, and and you know, oh, we're going to get into the we're going to get into the old uh, the whole law here in just a second. But you know, Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter, sees the vision of the of the unclean and clean animals, and and he just says, "Eat it." Jesus says, "What's food?" It goes in the mouth. It goes out the other end. Nothing. You know, it's it's just food. So what was he talking about? What was the whole Mosaic law and the food and everything else? There's a lot of different, you know, I mean, you could probably tell me a lot better than I could say it. You know, there's a lot of different thoughts along that. Part of it is you've got two million people traveling together. And there's, there's a whole bunch of, of hygiene and, and, and you, know, you know, we know now because of science and because of research, pork has all kinds of stuff going on that if you don't cook it right, if you're not, you know, you can, you can eat beef raw. At least you used to be able to. You could, <laughs> my dad, my dad worked in a packing plant for 40 years. And he said, you know, back in the, the 60s and 70s, he worked with a guy that when it was lunchtime, the guy would walk by the hamburger bin because they would make just bins and bins and bins of hamburger. He'd walk by the hamburger bin, grab a handful of it, and on the way to the, on the, way to the uh, locker room would, be, would make a patty out of it, had two pieces of bread, put it between the pieces of bread and ate it. I mean, you could eat raw meat, raw raw beef. Then there's the story about, <laughs> but pork you can't. You know, pork will kill you. You know, and and there's so the the whole food thing was number one. I think it was a, a lot of hygiene stuff. It had to you know it had to do with traveling and hygiene and all that kind of stuff. But two, it was also a type and shadow. Why did God say, don't eat of that tree? Why, what, what was wrong with it? Was the tree poisonous? No, the tree wasn't poisonous. She said it's pleasant to eat. It looked good. It tasted good. She didn't die. They didn't die instantaneously. You know, and that, there wasn't a, a, a poison in that one piece of fruit that poisoned the whole human race. No, it, it was a heart issue. That's where the sin came from. So, I believe that another side of the whole Mosaic law and stuff like that was God says, don't do it, or do it this way. And then he was like, okay, let's see if they'll do it or if they don't do it. Yeah, just because he said so. Yes. And that is the right answer. That's the right answer for our whole lives. Why do we do and not do the things we do? Because it's the rule, or because we have to, or because we're expected, it's cultural? No, it's because he said so.
And because of love, they want Jewish people to get saved. You know, and so, so they're still, they, they don't want to burn that bridge because that's where their roots come from. And they want, and, and, and really, in, in all fairness, and all, you know, back then especially, who was most likely to get saved? Somebody who understood the, the root of who Jesus was, the Messiah, the, you know, so they're, they're being sensitive to that. You know, so they're, you know, all these things that he's talking about, it, it, you know, we, we talked about it last week extensively, but now, even, you know, next week we're going to be getting into 1 Corinthians 13. All of this is about love. We do and don't do things not because we have to or have to. We do these things because of love. We do these things because we care about somebody else. We want to impact their lives for Christ. And then so we live a certain way. Not because, well, I have to, because I, you know, I have to follow this rule or don't, can't do that. Or I have to believe this or not believe. No, we do it because he said so. And, and because doing it produces love, produces. <laughs> it is. It is healthy, you know, so. Right. Exactly. But, and, and also, you know, so is eating like, uh, like an oriental person, you know. And I'm not going to do that either, all the time. No, no, not that kind of, no, not that kind of oriental. Right. And I'll do that. That's it. Yeah. Lots of lamb. And, and yeah, amen. Yes. On the beach. And they take naps in the afternoon. And... <laughs> yeah, well, that's somebody, that's sin coming in is what that is. <laughs> All right, verse twenty-three. Because we, we're not even going to get to this week's. Oh yeah, because the salad kind of packs everything down, fills around the edges. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. See, I do that a lot. I'll eat the salad afterwards because it, it just for some reason it kind of makes you more hungry again. So it's like, you can eat more. Hallelujah. So far, so good. Verse 23, believer's freedom. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Do, no one should seek their own good but the good of others. Bottom line, that's what he's been talking about here. Christianity, we are free. We are totally free. We can do anything, but we don't. Why? Because partly because he says so, partly because of love. You know, we, we buffet our bodies, like Paul says. We, we bring ourselves under submission so, so as not to offend somebody, but also to project the right kind of love you know i live in a certain way you know he's it all of this ties together he says i i'm all things to all people when he's with the jews he eats kosher when he's with the gentiles he eats what they what they sit before him even if there's a if it's a, a food sacrifice to an idol if he's somewhere else he'll eat whatever they eat you know if, if, if he's among the poor he doesn't eat whatever the situation is it's about love i can do anything i am free but in my freedom, I don't cause somebody else to sin, or I don't cause somebody else to look at Christ um, negatively. 
you know, painting Christ in a, in a negative light. Okay. First Corinthians thirteen four. We're going to get there next week, hopefully. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. So, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Verse 25. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. Earth, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. If someone says to you, this has been offered to a sacrifice, then do not eat it. Both for the sake of, of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, am I den- why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? If the person you are with is convicted of an act that you are free to do, don't do it. Bottom line. It's the, the best, it's the rule of love. Freedom is not always love. Sometimes we need to sometimes we need to sacrifice our freedom for love, to love someone else. Verse 31. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own, but the good of many so that they may be saved. And that is the bottom line. It's all about people being saved, doing whatever it takes. So when you go, when, when, you know, it doesn't, it's not so much anymore. We do have to be careful about a few things. When we go to Eastern Europe, we follow their rules. Not because they're right, but because of love. When we go to Jamaica, you know, when we used to go to Jamaica, you follow their rules, not because they're right, but because when, we go, when I go to a Catholic wedding or a funeral, I follow their rules. You know, who more than a believer in Jesus Christ should eat of the table? And I can't at a, at a, at a, at a Catholic uh, wedding or funeral or whatever. I don't do it because it offend them. We, we do it out of love. I mean, I, you know, I've always thought that I could go, but I'm not going to. I, I have actually been with people who said, I'm going up because I can do it. Well, whatever your conscience can bear, man. <laughs> I, I'm okay with it. But, but, but if we do it and it offends somebody else, that's not love. It just isn't. Okay? You know, balance, balance. Does that mean because I think you shouldn't do something? Here, I'll, give you my, I'll, I'll just give you one from my life. The Lord has dealt with me about watching too much television. For years he dealt with me, and I've... You know, now I don't watch, we hardly, we don't watch any TV. We'll watch something on the computer, but it's controlled. We all, you know, we watch it together, whatever it is. But I don't watch, I don't watch any TV anymore. So I, I would be offended if any of you watch TV ever again. That's, that's, that's unrealistic. You know, just because someone thinks that, you know, they can't have freedom in one area or another, and then to put that expectation that you can never do it, that's wrong. That's not love. That's not right, number one. I mean, that's just not truth but it's also not love my my convictions are not necessarily your convictions and so to put my convictions on you with expectation is not love okay any thoughts before we move on to chapter 11 
Meaning, G- give me an example. Oh, it can if I'm judging if I'm judging them. You know what I mean? It doesn't doesn't bother me. I mean, if if you're free to watch whatever you want on television, pff, that's. Oh, it's easy to fall into. Absolutely, yeah. You can you can. It's, it's easy to think. Well, if I, how come you get to do it if I can't do it? You know, the the fun, one of the funniest ones I ever heard was actually from Robin Roberts. He uh, he loves westerns. He loves watching old westerns. And he was saying, he was, he was preaching here, I think, or he was preaching somewhere. And he said that um, there was a time where God told him, he says, I don't want you watching any more, any more westerns. He's like, what? I love westerns, and they're clean. I mean, the guy watches, old, I mean, G-rated old westerns. And the Lord says, I don't want you watching westerns anymore. He's like, oh. And I want you to get rid of all the old western uh, cassette or the video cassettes that you have, because he had a whole, he had a stack of, I think, six or seven of them. It wasn't like he, but he had a, had a handful of them. And he was like, oh, okay. I mean, because he's Robin. I mean, he just does whatever, you know, he, he's just obedient that way. So he, he quits watching Westerns, and he, he, so then the next time he went to a Joyce Meyer conference, she was talking about the video collection that she has. And he's like, and he said, he says he sat there and went, God, how come she gets to watch whatever she wants, and I can't? Well, it's because God said so. It isn't about right or wrong, nothing about Westerns, it's nothing about TV, it's nothing about wine, it's nothing about meat sacrificed to idols, it's not, about, it's not about any of that stuff. The kingdom of God is not about food and drink. It's not about stuff. It's about righteousness, love, and the power of God. And that is what this whole thing is about. It's, it's about being honorable to God, and if God says don't do it, you don't ever do it again. Unless he says do it again, you know, go ahead. But it's, it's about honoring him. All right, well, let's get started on 1 Corinthians 11. We'll get into a really fun one here again. Head covering in worship. We did just have a conversation about this, didn't I? And that's part of the reason I asked it. Oh, yeah, it did. Yeah, it went fine. 1 Corinthians 11. Follow my example as I follow the example of... Of Christ. Now, put it in context. He's talking about relating to people. He's talking about how do we relate to people in love and open the door for the gospel. Okay? So that's, all of this has to stay in context. It isn't like he's saying, end of all my thoughts earlier in this book or this letter. Now we're on to something completely different. It's all one conversation. This whole conversation, and he's going to get into, you know, we're in 11 now, then we're going to get to 12, and, then, and even 12, when he's talking about the spiritual gifts, are in the context of love. 13 is right in the middle of this whole letter because it's the center point of the whole thing. This is about love. Whatever we do, it's about love. Okay? So even when we get to this issue, we can't, it's so easy to slide over back over into well, it's the rule. We need to follow this rule. And it's not. He's not talking about that. But he, what he is talking about is relating to other people. And we'll see that here as we go along. The headline in mine, my Bible said, On covering the head in worship. Verse 2. I, prize, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of every woman is man. And the head of, every, and the head of Christ is God. 
Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But it is a disgrace for women to have their hair cut off or her head shaved. Then she should cover her head. So Deb has a bunch of head coverings. I want all the ladies to, uh, to put those on before we continue on. I'm just joking. I work with Muslims. I know. <laughs> Verse 7, a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, women Woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Got all of that so far? I'm going to go one more section here, and then we'll start talking about it. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair... It is a disgrace to him. But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious, mark that word, contentious. About this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Okay. Here we are in the 21st century. Do we follow this teaching? a good question we we don't follow it should we some do are we in sin that because we don't what is he talking about here what part of it is an allegory now here and i'll I'll tell you what the conversation we we were at a wedding uh two weekends ago and we my brother-in-law is a member of a brethren church and they they do head coverings okay and so we were talking about another issue and he's he started he's, he's a really nice guy but he can, he can start pushing my buttons. So I thought, I'll push your buttons. So I asked about head coverings. And I asked, does your wife wear a head covering? <laughs> and he goes, no, she doesn't. And there's reasons why she doesn't. And that's okay. I don't care. I just wanted to push his buttons. They ran out of doilies. So, um, but in this conversation, we actually touched on a lot of what I believe is he, what, what, what Paul is saying here. And he even said, the same things that I'm going to share with you tonight, and what, what I hope you know, what we'll come to tonight, is: is it an allegory? Yes and no. Yes, it is absolutely. The whole time he's talking about uh, uh, woman's covering is man, and man's covering is Christ, and Christ's covering is God. He's talking about authority, and he's and, and and when they wore head coverings or didn't wear head coverings, it was once again kind of that playing out of this. Who is Christ? Who are we in relation to Christ? It's, it's, a, it's a, a physical representation of what they believe. You know, much like baptism is. Baptism 
is, you know, d- does dunking somebody in the water we have here at the church anything mystical? I mean, is it any, uh, see, I have to be careful because it is mystical. Is it anything scientifically? Is there something happening there chemically that changes? No. What we're doing is we're making a statement with an action that we're, that we're living. We're making a statement of what we believe. We're making a statement of how we're going to live our lives. We are going to submit ourselves to the, to the, the leading of God, the leading of Christ, to follow him in baptism. Why? Because in that, what are we doing? We're being obedient. It's about humility. It's about obedience. When we do that, even the Lord's Supper, why do we do the Lord's Supper? Is there something mystical about that bread and wine? Intrinsically, no. There's not something magical. It isn't the body of Christ. It isn't the blood, the actual blood of Christ. So there isn't something intrinsically mystical that's happening there. But through our obedience to do it, there is something mystical that's happening. It is. It's, it's, we're, we're, you know, like the, uh, Paul or like, yeah, like Paul says here in first Corinthians, we're proclaiming the Lord's death. You know, we're, when we do that, and I just, I heard somebody teach on this recently and they talked about what happens when we, when we receive communion, that we're proclaiming our stake to the inheritance. He is dead. I'm, you know, and it was just a powerful teaching that he's saying that we're saying here is his blood, here is his body. And we're making a statement that Christ died for me. And because he died, I have the right to his will. And his will is life everlasting. We get everything that he has. So, I mean, it's just a, it was a really neat teaching. So it isn't that the bread and the wine or even the head covering or the water of baptism is somehow chemically or magically gives us something. But what it does do is it, it, we, when we humble ourselves to it, and be obedient to what Christ is saying, it speaks something very powerfully. Okay, that's got to be the, the foundation of where we start out talking about this. The head covering, bottom line, is a sign of humility. When they cover their head, it's a, it's, or when, when women of that day covered their head, it was a sign of humility. Now, culturally, yes, It was actually a piece of cloth. Yep. It's an actual piece of cloth. He said, you know, like, and Paul says this. Paul gets this way every once in a while. He will, he will make a point, and then he will take it beyond where he should. So what he's saying is, if you don't want to wear the head covering, then you might as well shave your head, too. They say the, say, he said the same thing about the, uh, the um, circumcision crowd. He goes, you know, they make a big deal out of circumcision. I wish they'd emasculate themselves. I mean, he, he kind of takes it to the, to the extreme of, when, of, of what he's saying. So what he's actually talking about is a, is a cloth that would go over their head. Okay. Now, culturally, that happened a lot, didn't it? Did, did, did they do that in the, in the uh, synagogues? Did, I mean, did the women wear head coverings? Yeah. See, it was a cultural thing that they did. And what they were doing was, and we'll get into that in a second, is the woman is purposefully humbling herself to the man. Yep. And, 
And you also have a bunch of people who are coming to Christ and going, I'm free. I'm, I get this freedom thing. We, we, he's already been dealing with, with the food. He's been dealing with the idol stuff. He's been, there's, there's, you know, and he deals with all the way through 1 Corinthians is they were coming out and going, I'm free. He, that, that's what he chastises the Galatians for not doing. The Galatians didn't get the idea that I'm free. Yeah, they, they burned the veils, exactly. But they're going, woo, I'm free. I don't have to wear a head covering anymore. That's just one of those outward signs to say, you know, and, and at the root of it, that's cool. At the, for those of you who can't hear what's going on around the outside of my, because they can't hear you, we're not telling you, okay? There's, there's, some, there's comments that are being made that do not need to be recorded for posterity where was i oh they they were free no i was i was somewhere else where was i headed with that but but they were they were finally experiencing freedom and at the oh at the base of it they're right they didn't have to wear the head cover anymore to prove anything but where they made the mistake was i'm free and i don't care what you think i'm not wearing the head covering anymore that's where you cross over that line that's where the person, that's where the people cross over the line is, I don't care what you expect of me. Paul, remember, this whole, we, this, all of this is in context. This is about getting people saved. And there were a bunch of people who believed that whenever you come into worship, you should wear a head covering, the Jewish people. And now they're going, I'm free. I don't have to wear no stinking head covering. And they were doing it to, in spite of these people who had a conviction it was just as bad for the women to not wear a head covering as it was for somebody to, to eat the meat sacrificed to idols if it, was a conscience, if it was a conscience thing with somebody else. So, so they're, they're right and they're wrong all at the same time. Right. You know, and it would be, and it, you know, it's, it's in every area. What was, you know, they went from freedom to pride in one step. You know, instead of going, I'm just, I'm free, but I'm, you know, I'm free and I don't care what you think. That's pride. That's the same, it's the same statement-ish, but it's taking that extra step of pride where it became a sin. And lack of order. Now, let's, let's get the, let's, let's. Get all of the all of the foundation here um, as we go along, because then we'll build upon that to, sh- to show you where it comes from and why they why they needed to do it and why we don't do it now. Uh, why I don't? Why I personally believe we don't do it now. Um, the custom in that day was that women covered their heads in places of worship. That's what they did. In their freedom, though, they said they did. They didn't want to do it anymore. Notice that it didn't say that women, you're not supposed to, you know, wear your head covering and don't say a word and don't bother us, it's the men. You know, we talk about this as a matriarchal society, the, the Jewish culture was a, matri- or, I'm sorry, a patriarchal society, and that the women were subservient. That was because sin pushed them down. They weren't supposed to be. They were supposed to be treated as equals, but the wife was supposed to be submissive to the husband. I believe... Today, in the 21st century, it's the same order of things. 
My wife is, is spiritually equal to me. Psychologically equal. Socially equal. My wife is me. But bottom line, she's, she, she is supposed to be submissive to me. Supposed to be. That, the heavy on this supposed to be. Now, now I'm going to be, I'm going to be, she's amazing. She really is. She, I mean, I wouldn't put up with me half the time. <laughs> and be, she's, she's, and I tease that, so I tease about it because it's like somebody told me one day after Sunday, he goes, you usually go for the low-hanging fruit. Yes, it's, it's just easy to, you know, there's some, some lines that are just easy to, to use. But as much as I love my wife, as much as I respect my wife, as much as my wife is my, my equal in everything that I am, spiritually, She's supposed to be submissive to me. That is the right order of life. Not because she's done anything wrong, or any of you ladies have done anything. No, it's because God made it that way. Because it's the right order. Mm-hmm. And that the, the blessings flow in order. God, Jesus, man, wife, household. That is the natural order of that. Now, sin has pushed that to where women don't matter. You know, woman, get out of my way. Woman, woman, submit to me or, or, you know, succumb to me or whatever. You know, that is because of pride, because of all these things, and that's wrong too. But, but in, in, a, in, a, in God's perfect world, there is an order to um, respect. All right. But do you... Oh, well, we'll get to that. That's very important. And there's actually, and there's actually a root to it. We're going to get to it here in just a few points. There, there, there is the root, which goes all the way back to the first sin. And, we'll, and, and, and I'll show you the verses. And I cannot remember the guy who said this. It was a couple, few years ago. There was a guy, and I'll just say a theologian said, because it was a, a teacher, um, not of our circles, but of another circle, who actually pointed this out. And when I heard it, I was like, dude, I think he's right. You know, I mean, I'd have to study this more, but I mean, and I've been looking ever since then, and I'm pretty sure he's right. We'll get to it in a second here. But yes, you're right. There's, it, it's all interconnected here. Third point is, you notice back in verse 5, it says, but every woman who prays or prophesies. So he's not saying, woman, shut up. He's, he's not saying, woman, don't speak in church. He's not, he says, when a woman... Pr- praise or prophesies she should do it with her head covered because that's what we do here that's that's how we do it and don't take don't use your freedom to to alienate somebody else or to offend somebody else but when you do it so he's he's leaving that door open that women should pray women should prophesy and that word prophesy is not just uh speaking in a, a, a divine word from god in a prophetic way it means to preach when women preach they should wear, they should have a head covering translated today because we're running out of time and I want to give you this, at least give you the, we'll talk about it more in depth next time, but I want to give you this in, you know, that same way today. A woman, when she preaches here, should have her head covered. We don't have the piece of cloth that makes this, you know, this symbolic gesture, but she should be in submission to her husband or she should be in submission to the pastor. If we have a woman come and speak at our church, that, per, that woman should be in submission to the leader of that church. 
Not because I'm anything great, but it's because when we do, there's blessing. There's, there's the right order of things, and blessing will come from it. And your Absolutely. And so, you know, the whole thing comes down to submission. Now, I'm sorry, I wanted to say that because, hey, we're, women are, are okay. That, you know, I've, I've had the question in the past, do, you know, how, what's the, how do you guys handle women? How does your church handle women? And I said, they are co-equals. There is no difference between man and woman, slave or free, Greek or, or Jew. They are co-equal. But they do not run the church. Now, what I mean by that is my wife has said to me many times, she goes, I don't want to be called Pastor Debbie. Now, we tease her, Pastor Greg especially, and Carrie especially tease her about being Pastor Debbie. But she goes, I'm not a pastor. That's not her call. Pastor Claudia was a pastor. That was her call. She... she Feels that God would call her to do that. Debbie has always said, I'm not a pastor. She goes, the only reason God would call her to be a pastor is if I didn't do my job. I believe that. That makes sense. I mean, I get that. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. You know, she's the neck, you know, and we all know what that means, you know. So, um, but you notice in, in this church, you know, Pastor Karen's a pastor. She, she is an, a, a licensed, ordained pastor. She has all the, the rights and responsibilities of a pastor. I respect her as a pastor, but she doesn't run the church. Would we ever have a woman pastor of this church or any church that we're associated with only if the, the man who was supposed to do it didn't do it? It's not because the man is better. But it's because it's the right order of the way things. Does that, I mean, will we have women minister in church? Absolutely. Every day, all the time. Why cut off half of the church? Why cut off half of your gifts and talents? This doesn't make any sense. But there is a right order of things. So, okay, so that, I wanted to say that before we get in, uh, go beyond our time and we don't get all of this done, but we'll, 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 now I'll fill in all the blanks. So when a woman prays or prophesies, that, that in verse 5, that opens, keeps that door open for that. Fourth point. The women of the church began to not wear the covering because of their revelation of equality in Christ. So they had the right revelation. They acted upon it wrongly. They should have, they should have been submissive because it, it comes back to humility and submission. You know, if, if it was our regular rule, our regular, say this culture, or this, um, what's that word? Not culture, uh, tradition. This practice, this tradition, if that had carried down over 2,000 years, then we would do it. It didn't for a lot of different reasons. But just because we don't do it now, it's, it's a cultural thing. It's not because we don't do it because we're wrong. We don't do it because it's just not a, it's not a cultural thing. Back then, Every, I think even even in the the pagan temples they wore coverings over. They just you know there was there was uh, it was cultural around the, or across the board for them to do it. So he was saying you know uh, follow or you know be be relatable to the people that are around you, uh, being all things to all people, so that some may be one. But yes. Mm-hmm.
Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and, and women were actually oppressed in, yeah. in that church. And that's where, that, that's where it slides from... Yeah, thumb down. You know, uh, some. You know, what's that? What oppressed? I think he's he's that he's the best way. Oppressed, and that's that is the danger with any of these rules. Eat meat, don't eat meat. You know, wear the head covering, don't wear the head covering. Uh, go to church on Sunday because what we do. You know, remember when we went to had a Saturday night service? I had a number of people come and go. I can't go to church on on Saturday night. Church is on Sunday morning. That's when you go to church. It's like, wait a second. Here. <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> tradition. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, and it can we can easily slide over into that when it's about the rule, not about the spirit of it. The spirit of it was right, making it the rule that okay, now you can never do it unless you know. So, okay. Because of this, uh, ver- the point number five. Because of because of some, this was seen as conceit. And in some cases, it very, very, very may well have been true. They, they, there was freedom, but then there was, skip you, I'm not wearing the head covering. Well, anytime you cross that line to skip you, I'm not wearing the head covering, or whatever that is, that's pride. And this is what Paul is addressing now. He goes, you know, in your freedom, don't sin. Well, what they were doing is in their freedom, they were sinning. They were crossing that line in their hearts, and that's where they started having trouble. That's where Paul had, had trouble with it. Going back to the creation, line six, going back to the creation and the fall, because he, he does that. He goes back to the creation of man. You know, uh, man was created by God, then woman came out of man, but we still need woman because man comes out of woman, and he goes through that whole litany. <clears throat> going back to the creation and the fall, Paul explains that woman is supposed is to be submitted to the man. And the head covering is an outward sign of her humility. Genesis 3.16. Go ahead and turn there if you don't have it. Well, I know you don't have it. I have it. You don't have it. John 3.16. Or John. Genesis 3.16 says, To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, this theologian, I wish I could remember who it was that said this, because when, when I heard it preached, I went, oh my gosh, I think he's right. And I, do believe, I still believe he's right. That line, your desire will be for your husband, is part of the curse. So, if that means that my wife's desire will be for my, her husband is part of the curse. You see what I'm going with that? That doesn't make any sense. That, oh, my desire is for you. That, and he's saying that's part of the curse, that your desire will be for your husband. No, what this guy was saying, and what I believe it's saying here is, is that it is, it, part of the curse is women want the authority that the husband has. And it's and 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 you don't. I don't believe people do it because they're. You know, it's. Well, I believe it's inherent. <laughs> I believe it's part of the sin curse. Is that women, because of what Eve did, Adam, you, uh, Adam dropped his authority. He did not do what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to protect his wife. He was supposed to tell her, "Don't eat of this tree." Because remember, God told Adam, "Don't eat of this tree." He didn't say anything to Eve. Adam didn't do what he was supposed to do. He did not take his authority. He did not 
put, you know, he did not make himself the head of that house. And he says, well, yeah, don't eat of it. Don't even look at it. Don't even, if you even touch it, you are cursed. And they left it at that, and, and, but that wasn't the truth. The truth was, don't eat of this, and you, and, and, you know, because if you do, you'll die. So part of the curse, what it's saying your desire will be for your husband is that a wife in her nature will want to be the authority. And if the husband doesn't take, and he, but he says here, he says in Genesis 3.16, and he will rule over you. A man should be the rule of his house. He should be the leader of his house. If he doesn't, a woman will try to fill that role. By nature, they will try to fill that role. And that is un, that's disorder. So to, to play out, to, to, make, to, to fulfill that word picture that, that they were doing in the early church, what they, what they did in the Jewish synagogue, what they did in the, in the culture was women put the, the covering over their head to, to outwardly display, I am submissive. I am submissive to my husband. I'm submissive to the leadership of the church. I am, I'm going to come in and I'm submissive. They could preach. They could prophesy. They could teach. They could do whatever, but they had to do it in a submissive manner. When they came in and said, I'm going to rule the place because nobody else is ruling it around here, I'm going to rule it, they were out of order. And by saying, I'm not wearing the head covering, was the first step of disorder. I believe they did. What was the, was it Priscilla and Aquila? Priscilla and Aquila, when, when you first hear, it was Aquila and Priscilla. The first time you ever hear them, ever hear them uh, mentioned in the Bible was Aquila and Priscilla. Every time after that, it was Priscilla and Aquila. Aquila being her husband. The culture of the day was whoever was the prominent one was named first. And so I believe she had the gift. She was the one who was the teacher, who was the outgoing one, and he was the support. But I believe he was also the head of their house. I mean, because she had success in what she was doing. So I believe, I believe they preached, I believe they taught, I believe they ministered, but they did it in submission. You know, they never, and, that's, and it isn't submission like, oh, oh, woe is me, thank you for letting me preach this morning. No, it's, I realize that I am who I am and I'm going to be submissive because there's always that tendency for the woman to, to go that extra step. And ladies, if you're going to be honest with me tonight, you'd nod. No, I'm just teasing. But you know what I'm saying? It, it, and it's not, it's just the way we are. It's human nature. It's the... And it's also the nature of the man, and I'll pick on us for a moment, whatever, you know. Sometimes we just like them to take over. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that is a, you know, Adam, that, that was inherent with Adam, it's inherent with most men. I mean, you'll get the man who's, you know, and, and any man that goes, I'm in charge, it quickly goes over into oppression. Mm-hmm. Not as, it wasn't as common as people think. The, um, there's, there's writing, Jewish writings about Sarah, Abraham's wife, mm-hmm. about uh, just how wonderful of a woman she was. Yeah. All these miracles happened around her. You know, and in scripture, you know, the Lord told her to transgress against Sarah. Uh, so 
And you also know what Sarah said. She called Abraham her master. She, she was submissive to him. And because of that divine order, she was blessed. And, and, and she, she was able to operate in that, that sort of thing. Deb. And humanity, you know, that, that we are to be submissive to Christ, yes. And so that is the character quality of Christ that women portray and men portray other character qualities of Christ and how he is portrayed. It's just kind of neat. It is. It was a, it was a, that's why I say it was a very good conversation because I finally got to hear it from his mouth because, you know, we've always heard women were, you know, women are supposed to wear, you know, head covering, they're supposed to be behind the veil. Supposed to, and, and he's not a bad guy, he's a great guy. But it was really great to hear him share that balance. And I asked, so then I asked him, I said, does, does Sarah, his wife's name is Sarah, I said, does Sarah wear a head covering? And she goes, and he says, no. Because she, has, she came up under the oppressive side of it. And it's, in that church, in her parents' church, it was, you will wear the head covering. And you will stay silent. And you will. And, that, and she's an extremely talented woman. You know, and so here's that, you know, cultural thing that, you know, where it wasn't being handled right. The, the, it was a very patriarchal church where we will rule and the women will submit. And, and that's, you know, that's not the right way. It is supposed to be a relational with the women being submissive, going, I'm, I'm praying for you, I'm here for you, I'm going to help you be the best you can. And the husbands and, and the men of the church taking their place and, and, and walking it out. You know, when, when we shrink back when we don't take our place the women will 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 want to take over and and there are churches man i've seen these churches i've seen pastors you know women women led churches women and they're scary i'm just being honest they're scary oh it's oh yeah i mean i and like i say I, i i know of two specifically and i will never mention their names but I have met one of them, and I've heard a lot about the other, and they're scary. Well, and women in general, like when you hold like a leadership position in a company or anywhere, you just tend to be mean. Supporting other women. I've worked for women, and sometimes I prefer having them as bosses, but you get a woman boss and a woman uh, employee both, and it can be a real challenge. Oh, absolutely. Not, absolutely. Yep. So then it, perfect example of that is Joyce Meyer. Joyce Meyer is the head of that ministry in as much as she's the figurehead. She is the, she's the mouthpiece. She's the, she's the one who decides what they do and when they go and where they go. But I've heard her publicly say, Dave is the head of our house. And she says, I am in, I am in submission to Dave. And, you, and I know people who know them, and they say it is. Marilyn Hickey. Hickey. I mean, and, and Beth Moore. I mean, very strong women. Very strong anointings, very strong giftings, very strong abilities, and strong personalities. But you can tell they're submitted to their husband, and they're blessed because of it. God wouldn't let them there to that level. With I don't, I don't believe, unless they were, unless they were in. 
if they weren't in the right order, yeah. And, and that's where we will get to. I believe that now, culturally, it's that, it's, that is exactly what it is. It isn't the cloth on your head that means anything. It's, are you, are you, you, know, you should not be praying in the church if you're not submitted to Ray. You should, not be, you should not be prophesying in the church if you're not submitted to Ray. You should not be you know, ministering in the church if you're not submitted to Ray. I mean, any relationship should be that way. You know? And then taking that one step higher, I shouldn't be ministering in the church if I'm not submitted to Christ. The husband shouldn't be thinking he can say anything to his wife or his family unless he's submitted to Christ. You know, it's that, it's that level of authority, that level of, of, of responsibility that goes with the authority that's given to us. And let him do it. <laughs> yeah, 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 you submit, and that, that lets God get a direct line. <laughs> exactly. We'll stop there. Just let everybody remind me that we, we left off with the whole submission and uh, head covering thing. We're right in the middle of that. There isn't much left, but that'll just give us a good stopping off point. All right. Anything else before we close out tonight? Great discussion. Great discussion. All right. God bless.